beginning. All right, welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in again for another episode uh, that we have here. And we're going to actually label this sort of like a Valentine's Day episode since this Valentine's Day is coming up and we have a sex, love, and relationship coach on this time. So before we get, um, we talk to her. Uh, so once again, Sean is not here with us, Sean Ram, um, but he will be editing this podcast. So uh, he's here in spirit. But in, because he can't be here, we have Jade Carling Black uh, back on to guest host. Good morning. Morning, Jade. How's everything going? Everything is going great. Thank you. Yeah, you have a um, a workshop coming up, don't you? I do have a workshop actually on the topic of Valentine's Day. I'm doing um, a love after loss. It's more of a seminar, but a love after loss seminar in Chilliwack, British Columbia, and it's going to focus on thriving through life after experiencing what could be sometimes labeled as a traumatic loss through death or the end of a relationship. We're going to be covering some really cool tips and tools for moving forward. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's on the 3rd of March at the uh, Chilliwack Cultural Center. So for more information, you can go to their website and check it out. Yeah, we also will have it on the griefdreams.ca under presentations. We'll have it there too if you want more information on that. And so here we go, Valentine's Day, man, like I was just before I was recording, we started to record, I was talking to Jade about, you know, different Valentine's Day memories and stuff um, as a child and as I got older. So hopefully we get to talk about some of those because I think it's it's one of those holidays, kind of like Christmas, that can be very, when you have someone, very loving and and a very beautiful event. Um, When you don't have someone, it can be very kind of, you know, it can be sad and kind of depressing sometimes. So hopefully we'll get into all that. And so today we have Justina Joya, who is a sex, love, and relationship coach and law of attraction expert. She teaches people how to be, do, and have everything they've ever dreamed by opening their connection to the universe, shifting limiting beliefs, and unlocking the power of high vibration emotions. She works with both men and women who have experienced issues in the realm of sex, love, and relationships, and those who know that a more extraordinary life is possible, but don't know where to begin. So thank you, Justina, for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. So where are you from? Uh, I am from New York originally. I am currently living in Florida and actually getting ready to move back to New York in May to the city. But yeah, originally from New York. So Jade, I know you love New York for one main reason, sex in the city. <laughs> I do I do have very fond feelings towards sex in the city. Yes. Yes, particularly because it comforted me through a confusing time of my life. And so, yes, but in terms of actually going to New York, I've never been there and it's on my list. And so, I hope to one day <laughs> venture out and discover. And it's kind of weird because my parents live in Niagara Falls and I grew up in Niagara Falls, so it's not like a long trek. I don't know why I I never made it there. But anyways, that is yet to occur. So yeah. Are you a big fan of Sex and the City, Justina? Uh, I'm not really a huge fan. I I like the show, but I was never like a big, you know, I've never seen every episode or Mm. really haven't seen any of the episodes in the sequence that they're meant to be watched. I just kind of (laughs) watch them whenever and I saw like, like I had friends who made me go see Sex in the City 2, the, the movie. And so I didn't even see the first one. But I <laughs> like I love the show, but I just never, I don't really know the storyline super well. Mm-hmm. It's all about relationships, right, Jade? Well, it's about just 
yeah, like uh, relationships and relationship with yourself and navigating the dating world and being a woman, like a lot of common, you know, things that women experience and stuff. And they kind of, kind of written in a, in a satirical way. And the, you know, it's a it's comical, you know, and, and sad and whatever. So it's, it's kind of got like the perfect mix of, of everything. So I just like the show just really resonated with me. And like I said, it got me through a kind of weird that a show comforted me but it did because I just kind of relate to it in a lot of different ways so yeah that's my spiel on sex in the city (laughs) (laughs) so Justina can you tell us what got you into this work because it's it's very unique we haven't had a lot of people uh come on I don't know if we had anyone come on that was no we've had no I was gonna say nobody (laughs) so so, uh yeah so how'd you get into this well um I think there was a lot of things that sort of came together for me to uh, end up walking this path and this journey. But long story short, I, uh, I wanted to be a doctor ever since I was, I was little. I wanted to help people. And I went to school to do hair so that I could pay for college and ended up being really good at doing hair. And um, I spent 14 years doing hair and I, I, own, I still own a salon. And, um, and like over the last like three years or so, I just couldn't do it anymore. I needed to go back to school. So I went back to school and I started feeling really frustrated because I was thinking I'm already successful. And just the whole, I guess, environment like in the medical field right now is, is just a little bit crazy for me, just the amount of money it takes to go back to school. And you know, I really wanted to help people, but I just kept thinking to myself, do I want to, you know, I'm already 30. Do I really want to go back to school for 12 years and spend a million dollars on schooling? And, you know, at the end of it, is it going to be what I really wanted? So I was feeling pretty torn and I decided to quit and I felt pretty lost for about a year. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I just knew that I wanted help in some way. Um, I wanted to make people's lives better. And, you know, I think when I got into hair, it was kind of like that. It was like, you know, you really make people feel good about themselves. But over the years of doing it, it felt kind of like a Band-Aid because what would happen is is I would do someone's hair and they would feel really good. They'd be like, wow, my hair looks so beautiful. And then they they would be like, yeah, but look at this wrinkle. Or yeah, like my smile is crooked. My hair looks good, but like, yeah, look at all these other things that are wrong with me. And so, like, over the years, I started writing things on my mirrors, like, like, I would not tolerate self-criticism. If, you know, anybody sits in my chair and they start saying bad things about themselves, I just, I'm like, we're done. We're not doing that. We're going to talk about what you want, what you like about yourself. And so it's kind of become like this funny thing. People sit in my chair. They know, like, okay, I'm not allowed to talk about my wrinkles today. And so I remember one day I woke up out of a dead sleep. And I was like, oh, my God, I want to be a coach. And my husband was like, what the hell is a coach? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I, but this is what I want to do. I think I can coach people. I can help people. And so I kind of started that journey. And I went and got like a super vague coaching certification. It was like I didn't, once I was done, I was like, I don't know how to help people. I don't know what niche I'm in. I'm a business owner. Maybe I could help people who want to branch out of their, their work life and create their own business. Like, I just didn't know where I was going or what I was doing, but I knew now, like I knew what I wanted to do. I just didn't know how it was going to help people or who I was going to help yet. And so, 
yeah, like, so then, like, for a year, I was just kind of floating along, had this certification, didn't really know what I was doing, um, and then coming up against, like, my own problems in my relationship, I don't even want to call them problems, but just, like, things that were bubbling up to the surface that my husband and I didn't really know how to, to deal with, or how to, you know, we've never been taught, you know, p- people just think, like, you find your, your one true love and you get married and you live happily ever after. And that's it. You know, like you feel happy in the beginning and it should just last for the next like 50 years. And so we like loved each other so deeply, but these things were bubbling to the surface. We just didn't know what to do with them. And so I would read a lot and I would, you know, get my own coaching and therapy done to like understand myself better, understand my husband better. And this, uh, this, really well-known sex, love, and relationship coach, her name is Layla Martin, actually opened her school, and it's called the Tantric Institute of Integrated Sexuality, and I got this email saying that her school was opening and that she was only accepting 150 students. It was the first year that it was going to be open, and when I saw that email, when I read that email, I knew at that moment that that was what I needed to do. And it has been a crazy journey. <laughs> and, and, you know, like when I read that too, it was like, I realized the one thing that I have always been fascinated with my entire life is the mystery of love. Why it is the most profound yet most painful thing that we experience in life. It's like the only thing that makes our lives worth anything. You know, it, it's just like the whole purpose. If we didn't have that, it would just be like, we're just, we're like trees. We're like other objects on the earth or other, you know what I mean? Like, we're, we're just almost like inanimate objects. Like, if we didn't have that, that's sort of my view. It makes everything meaningful, but it also makes everything super painful. <laughs> so it's like, wow, this is really interesting. Maybe I could crack the code. Maybe there's something that, like, I could learn that I, you know, I could improve people's lives. And so, you know, over this time that I've been learning and being educated and coaching people, it's, you know, it's kind of come full circle where I wanted to help people. And my thing is really, like, turning people on for a living. So, like, people who are just, the only analogy I can come up with is people who are just living in black and white. I just want them to... I want to like wake them up and let them see what life is like in HD, you know, in full color and full color spectrum. And so that's kind of how I got into this. And, and I'm just so passionate about it. I mean, I wake up at six 30 in the morning and it's all I think about. Like as soon as I wake up, I'm like reading or writing or doing, or, you know, educating myself or thinking about my clients. And, and like I said, the mysteries of love, the mysteries of sex and, and, how, how our whole lives are shaped around this, this one thing. Everything comes back to this. So this is fascinating to me. And this is sort of how I, I got into this, this field. Wow, that was amazing. <laughs> that was a lot of information. <laughs> a lot of information, but really cool. And I think really speaks to the idea of a lot of people feel confused with where they're going or whatever. But as much as you said, it's a crazy journey. I just feel like the kind of the stars aligned and... and sounds like you feel very at home doing what you're doing and you know you found your little niche and stuff so that's that's amazing and you know I've also found it interesting that you know you have your own experiences in your relationship and that kind of if you're feeling that or you're feeling like you don't know how to you might not how to um, know how to navigate you know different relationship 
things that come up, um, then obviously, you know, other people are in the same or similar position. So I think that's always cool the way that those things kind of get ignited. Oh, so, God, yeah. Yeah, it's a really cool story. <laughs> so I have, a, I have a question about the most, what would you say the most common, and, and this might be a hard question, but what would you say the most common relationship issue that comes up in your practice? You know, it's not really an issue. It's not like I have this problem and whatever, whatever. It's like all of the problems sort of lead back to the same thing, which okay. is I am not enough. Right. So so that's really like I would say there there is there's just like one underlying or or like maybe one undercurrent for everyone, which is just this feeling of I am not enough. So that um, idea, that idea just manifests in uh, like a bunch, so of, many ways. bunch of different ways. So right. many ways. Yes. I mean, it could be anything from just uh, like a guy who's experiencing erectile dysfunction, uh, who's never experienced that before because he's always been sexually active, but then all of a sudden falls in love with somebody. And now he's experiencing erectile dysfunction, even though he is like so deeply in love with this person. It's like, he doesn't feel like he's performing enough. He doesn't feel like he's enough for this person. He doesn't know if this person loves him back. And then that like physically affects his body. It physically affects his performance. And I mean, it's just all across, it's just all across the board. People will come to me for all kinds of stuff and, and really like almost every single thing, if not everything just comes down to like, I'm not enough. I don't know if, if I'm worth worth it for this person. I don't know if I matter. I don't know if this person actually loves me. I don't know if I'm lovable. Like that is, that's pretty much it. Amazing. I can relate to that for sure because I find that a lot of the people that I deal with as well, it, it's the same kind of, it's the same kind of thing. And, and they're sure it's this thing, but ultimately mm-hmm. it's just a lack of, a lack of love for the self and knowing who you are and feeling comfortable in your body and all that kind of relates to just, you know, being confident and and having a lot of self-love. And I think that kind of just, once, you, once you've kind of worked that out, then everything else becomes, like you said, more brightly colored in HD because it's like you're, you're just um, coming from a place of love in, in all that you do in your relationships and, and everything. It's just a lot more secure. Right. When you, when you feel that level of, of love, like when you have that self-love and I, I hate using the word self-love because I feel like people think it's so woo-woo, like, Oh, I love myself. What does that mean? Do I just like give myself a hug? You know, it's so like, I feel like that, that concept is so out there for so many people. It doesn't really make sense, but yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's true. It's like, you know, when you're able to fulfill the need within yourself, of giving yourself the love that you deserve or believe that you deserve or even just believe that you are actually lovable, then it's like no one, nothing in your environment can change that. So regardless of like whether or not this person is actually giving you love, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the way you feel on the inside. So you're right. It's like when you feel that lack of love within yourself, then it's it's black and white. It's black and white. Exactly. It's like your Mm -hmm. whole life is dull and just meaningless. And then when you, when you create that from within, yeah, everything. And that's also crazy externally. Like when you first fall in love with somebody, like the whole world is like the most beautiful place, you know, everything just comes to life and you're like, 
but you can also create that within, and then you don't have to ride the roller coaster of, is it going to be taken away? Right, right, which is oh, a, a nightmare of a roller coaster, uh, just from personal nightmare. experience. Yeah, yes. absolutely, because there's just there's so much emotional instability in that place. It's oh god, it's exhausting. Just reflecting back on yes. my own my own journey, it's like oh gosh. But I think that's I think that's really fascinating. So, do you have a lot of people that come to you that are in the place where they believe that it's their the other person's job to bring them to that? Because I think that's one of the difficulties that I think that what happen is that a lot of people are under the impression that in love, it's my partner's job to meet me somewhere, whatever. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're really focused on the other. We as a culture mm-hmm. are like super focused on the other. So we're saying like, my husband's not doing this or my wife doesn't, or she's not. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of, I would call it a lack of accountability. So do you experience that a lot um, in your practice yes as well? Yes and no. Yes no, and okay. no. I, I would say... The reason I'm saying yes and no is because there's just a different level um, or a different kind of person that seeks out coaching. Right. So someone that feels like my partner's at fault really isn't like, okay, what can I change inside of me? You know, like how can I change? So so that kind of a person, that person that's a little bit more self-aware and knows that like what they have going on inside of them is playing a part is the kind of person that seeks out a coach. So usually the people that seek me out are are already on that level. Like, okay, I get it. What is my role in all this? Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Very cool. Very cool. Um, And then I would say, I would say, Yes and no. So the no part is because, you know, everybody has that piece of them, like no matter how evolved you are, no matter how much self-love you give, no matter like how many years you've been doing this work and, and, and I am not exempt from this, you, you still are like, oh my God, like <laughs> my partner needs to like love me more, just love me more, like do more stuff for me. You know, so that's why I say yes and no, because you can be super self-aware, but then there might still be a part of you that hasn't healed yet or doesn't feel loved yet. Or you just haven't gotten to that place yet where you need, you can't um, get get around like, right, right, taking it personally or like asking your partner to just fulfill specific needs for you. And I think we're always going to have that. Like, I don't, I think like no matter how how much growth that you do within your life, you know, it's, it's such a wonderful and amazing concept to think that like we can fulfill our own needs. And I do believe that, but I also think like we come into this world completely dependent on others. Like when we're babies, we cannot fulfill, we cannot fulfill our own needs. We don't know how. It's so funny you say that me and are actually just talking about that, like not that long ago about saying like, we have no choice, but to, like that just yeah. inherit in the role of, and so, you know, yeah. Yeah. And so like, as we age, the issue becomes like, now we're adults and we know how to fulfill our needs. Actually, I shouldn't even say we know how, because we've really been taught how to fulfill our inner emotional needs. But We're more capable of doing We're more capable, yeah. exactly. But we're still never kind of, we never get away from the idea that like our environment or the people that love us should be the ones to fulfill us or, or right, to, right. you know fulfill those needs. So you really have to work at breaking down that whole ideology and kind of revamping it, and that's a lot of foundational work and stuff. So, you know, and it's not people's fault they, they go into, like, that's just, that's just, you know, like, the no. way, that's just the way it is. Not at right? all. So 
yeah, it's it's just it's kind of typical that that people would have that position, but I think just coming to the place of saying I am more uh, more in a position to be emotionally responsible and care for myself and be the kind of gatekeeper for my emotional well-being and stuff that you you kind of have to shift that role. So that's that's very cool and very important work, might I add. But I just want to kind of shift gears now, and I I just want to talk to both of you about any memories you might have, like Valentine's Day related memories, perhaps from childhood or elementary school or anything like that. Mm. I guess I can go first. Yeah, <laughs> go for it. Yeah, <laughs> you're still so, there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I remember, like, when I think about Valentine's Day, what pops into my mind is like when I was a little kid, and I think like grade, you know, two, three. And I used to hang like these bags around around the room. So everyone had their own. And then you'd go out and buy those Valentine's Day cards. Yeah. And you would put them into the different bags of people. And you have to decide, okay, who gets what, you know, because some are more romantic and some are more like friendly based and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always remember, like, I remember that because, you know, then you also get uh, Valentine's Day. And then, as you said, like, it helped me feel loved, like getting some. A Valentine's Day card saying, you know, you're good or I choo choo choose you. You know, I'm like, yeah. But that's what that's the memory. I, and that's yeah, I don't know if you have that change or not. Well, I have and like for the listeners that don't know this, me and Josh actually went to the same elementary school when we were little kids and we oh. um yes, we were in grade two at the same time, but like we would make those I have the same memory. Like we would make those little bags that hang on the front of your desk and, you know, you would kind of with construction paper and you would kind of decorate it. And just that feeling of, you know, and at that time, everybody in the class would give one. So you would get 25 or whatever. You know what I mean? It it wasn't like picky and choosy. They would give you like a, uh, nobody was exempt out of that. So there was a really uh, amazing feeling of it being very inclusive and nobody was kind of left out, and love wasn't, in my opinion, it kind of set the stage for not so much intimate love, but, you know, as Josh alluded to, kind of like friendship too, and, you know, all different kinds of forms of love. So I definitely have positive memories surrounding that as well. And then those little candies with the um, sayings on them, I just, I really enjoyed those too, probably too many of those, but yeah, just... (laughs) You know, simple stuff like that, like not too extravagant. And it's weird because I don't really have any, when I think as I got older, my Valentine's Day were really just filled with expectations. And I'm not sure that they were even mine, but none of my innocent Valentine's Day memories from, you know, I don't have much from when I was early 20s or anything like that. It was just kind of like come and go. So interesting how my mind goes back to the kind of innocent simplicity of being in grade school and... um connecting with my classmates in that way. It's interesting because I'm listening to both of you talk about this, this classroom experience. And I remember that. And like, I can taste the candy hearts and I can feel the paper, you know, the little Valentine's uh, cards that you would get like the box of, and then you'd have to write every single one out for like every student in your class. Yeah. Or at least my mom would make me do that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so, but I guess like I always felt, like because I had to do that like it was like a chore that my mom made me I felt like everybody else in my class kind of just gave it to give it 
And so I never really felt super connected to that. But there is one thing that comes to mind to me that was really special. And I don't even know why it was so special. And or even like, I don't even know how I remember this. This isn't even a thought I've had until you guys asked this question. But I was like severely ADHD in school. And I'm a very energetic person. And if I'm not passionate about something, which was like 99.9% of the subjects in school, I just needed to release my energy. Like I just had to like run out of the classroom or like freak out or disrupt someone so that I didn't have to be forced to focus on something that I just hated. Right. And so my parents got me and I, I don't even know how it came along or where this woman came from, but my, I ended up getting a mentor and this woman was like, in her like late 70s, early 80s, maybe. And I don't even remember her name anymore. But I just remember that like, she was just there. And she would come around and like, she would just care about me. And, and like, wouldn't judge me. And I don't, I don't remember really much about her. But I do remember that she handmade me a Valentine's Day card one year. And at that point in my life, for some reason, I was obsessed with Jim Carrey obsessed with this man and I would actually like make my mom do my hair like Ace Ventura like and just walk around like that like how I don't even know so um she made me this handmade Valentine's Day card and when I opened it she put like lace in in the shape of a heart and on the inside, there was a picture of Jim Carrey that she saw in the newspaper that she cut out and pasted in the center of this lace heart. And I don't know. I didn't even remember that until you guys brought it up. But I'm like, I don't remember this lady. And this memory is making me feel so happy. <laughs> <laughs> so just like this person cared about me. Like she actually took interest in the things that I liked. Like you know, yeah. and, and she made it, I mean, she like made that with her hands and gave it to me. And it was like, I care about you. I hear what you're saying. I validate your life and that you matter and that you're not just this annoying kid that just bothers everyone all the time, but like you mean something. And I want right. you to know that with this card. So it was just, it was awesome. Amazing. What a cool memory. Yeah. Very <laughs> cool. As someone who deals with relationships a lot, what are your thoughts on Valentine's Day as a whole and how people should maybe prepare for this holiday? Hmm. <sighs> you know, I guess I feel like every holiday is just sort of a manifestation of where you're at mentally and your beliefs and your perceptions. So I guess I would say that if you're struggling Try to change the words and pictures in your mind. So if you know Valentine's Day is coming up and you're feeling kind of cynical, or you're feeling hurt, or you're feeling alone, actually monitor the beliefs that are coming to your mind. So if you're saying like, oh, every year I'm alone, try to flip it. So if you, if you actually hear that sentence that you're saying to yourself, like, you know, Valentine's Day is coming up and you're feeling bad, you're like, well, why am I feeling bad? What, what, what is this? And whatever sentence comes to you, so like every Valentine's Day, I'm alone. You can actually flip that and say, every Valentine's Day, I have so many people that love me around. And because like Valentine's Day doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have a significant other. It could just mean that you want to share love with the people you care about. So I think that when you switch your mind from lack of 
I don't have, I never will have, I'm not good enough. I, you know, I don't know what to do to get this and just start to celebrate like what you already have. And maybe just say like, you know what? I might not have a significant other and I kind of want that right now, but I'm going to write my mom a love letter. I'm going to write my brother a love letter. Like I'm going to tell my best friend what they mean to me. Mm-hmm. I think that that helps because what it does is it takes you from thinking about lack of to thinking about how much you have, how abundant you are already. And when you're in, and this is where I kind of like love my work in working with high vibration emotions is whatever vibration you're in is what you attract. That's all you receive back. And so if you're in the vibration of lack, like I don't have, I never will have, I'm not enough, then that is what you will always generate. Even subconscious, especially of, especially subconsciously. But if you switch your, your focus and your attention to, you know what I do have, and I'm going to be grateful and I'm going to show these people what they, you know, what they mean to me. It might not be the love that I really want right now, the kind of love that I'm looking for, but I don't have the other love right now. And so I'm just going to focus on this other thing. And once you change that vibration to like, I am abundant in love. I do have people that love me and care about me. Then you start attracting that. Like you put that out and you get it back. So I guess that would be my advice is just to monitor, are you, are you having a lack? Are you living in lack or are you living abundantly? And everybody, I believe, lives abundantly. It's just whether or not you perceive it. It's just whether or not you believe that you are abundant. So that really highlights the importance of reframing where you're at. And I think also you said, something important, why am I feeling like this? If you feel like I'm alone, like my mind goes right to I'm if I'm alone every every year on Valentine's Day, what does that mean? What does alone mean? Like I'm the kind of person that's like, why does alone make me sad? What is my ideas? Are those my ideas? Are those somebody else's? Right. What does it mean? Yeah, what does it it mean about it? Yeah. And you know, like where are you placing your value too? Because there's also there's also a, a, a misconception that if you're not alone, does that mean you're happy? Do you know what I mean? Because there's a lot of people who are in relationships that get things for Valentine's Day, but inside, is that, do you know what I mean? Is that, is that going to do what so that, it's supposed that to do? Of, yeah, right, like, is that going to do? That right, so once I look at things. lack ever go away? Yes, because it's not about the other person. It's about me. So whether I'm alone every year on Valentine's Day or not, I'm more focused on, I mean, and it's amazing to write your, mother you know a letter and and stuff like that so I just it's just how you want to really explore it but you know again I think just the idea of reframing anything to be more in a place of gratitude is going to be beneficial because gratitude just feels better than criticism and judgment it always has and it all and it always will yeah I totally agree and then for a lot of people that are in relationships like to give gifts so what are your suggestions on gift giving I know you said sort of for, I think for you and I think for us too, uh, you said meaningful, like the meaning of the gift is more valued than the actual, I guess, expense of the gift. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love this. I love this question. When I pick out a gift, so I have always, I've always been a gift giver. I love when somebody opens a present and you just see them light up. You just feel them just so happy, you know? So I guess, you know, my love language, if that's what you want to call it, is gift giving. And so I'm, this is like a great question for me because I'm really good at giving gifts. My husband actually gets angry at me because I always 
he always says I outdo him. Um, <laughs> but I, I think the easiest way to get a gift for somebody and to show that you love them is to take a moment, take a couple of deep breaths, close your eyes, put your hand over your heart and connect to that person and think about all of the reasons why you love this person and what, what would feel good to give them? Like, what do they need from you right now? What do they need to know from you right now? What, what need could you fulfill instead of just getting chocolate or, or a teddy bear or, you know, a balloon, like what would convey your love to this person? And that doesn't mean, you know, a $10,000 diamond ring. My husband just gave me for my birthday. My birthday's on New Year's Eve. He just gave me the best gift he has ever given me. And all it was was a couple of words in a card. It was the best gift he ever gave me. And it honestly, it was one of the best gifts I ever got my whole life. And, and he was really tuned into what I needed, what I needed to hear from him. You know, what, what kind of love I needed from him. And, and I think that it's almost like a grounding. Like, you're like, how can I let this person know how much I care about them? And I want, I want to blow them away. And I want them to feel so loved by me. And it's, it's almost like, for me, it's this energy that's very, uh, not anxious, but it's like a vibration. Like, oh, I gotta, it's got to be the best thing I can find. It's going to be the best thing I can find. And I want to blow them away. And, and if you just kind of stop for a second and ground, like it's this really grounded feeling of like, I truly love this person. And I just want to give them something that shows them that, you know, it's, it's a different gift giving. It's a gift, different gift buying experience. A lot of the times I think people just buy gifts because they feel like they're supposed to. And what I'm suggesting is maybe you don't have to buy anything. You know, maybe you could just fulfill a need. Maybe your maybe your significant other or your partner just has been saying in the past, like, oh, I would love for us to just have a dinner, just the two of us. And that could be the gift. You know, it could be anything. So when you just, stop and you just quiet down and you connect to that love you have for that person, a lot of things will come up. A lot of things will bubble up and, and it will be really clear and really easy to pick a, a good gift for them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's amazing. And thank you for sharing that to the listeners. And hopefully, you know, they, cause I say like, if they are one of those people just that try to buy like lavish gifts, maybe they settle down and say, okay, maybe this year's different. And to try yeah. to like get in touch with that and their love and their, their love for the other and, and to do what you just said, like meditate on, on their heart. So I think it's great. And right before we move into your own loss, I just wanted to give you a quick sec. What kind of tips do you have for someone who is grieving the loss of a partner or loved one uh, on Valentine's Day in which either there was a ritual or there's you know, a gift that was usually given and it's maybe their first or second you know, year alone? Like what, what are your tips for them? Mm-hmm. Well, first and foremost, I would say to be gentle with yourself and just allow that. A lot of, I think a lot of times people just like want to heal, like they want to just not feel the pain anymore. And just like allowing yourself and just being gentle with yourself. And that could mean like, you know what, this Valentine's Day, I want to be in my sweatpants and I want to like pig out on food and watch TV. You know, like that will make me feel good. That will just allow me to just be instead of trying to fix something. And then the second thing I would say is, you know, for me, what my belief around loss is, is that the reason why it's so painful is that that person becomes an absence. Like, 
they, they are no longer available. They are no longer accessible. And so I think, I think that a lot of the loss comes from that. A lot of the pain comes from knowing like, this is not available to me ever again. So again, just kind of changing the frame, the frame around that, the perception around that, and maybe spending the evening, you know, like you said, like sometimes people had a specific ritual with their partner and now they can't do that with them anymore. Well, one of the things you can do is create a new ritual and you can still involve that person. It can be for that person or about that person or even with that person, but it's just in a different way. And then the third thing I would say is I actually created a meditation. And if you want to, to add the link to it in this, it's free. It's on YouTube. And the meditation is, is just, it's a 30-minute guided meditation where I essentially show people that their loved one is still with them. The brain cannot tell the difference between what's happening in our environment in front of us what, or what's happening in our mind. So when we visualize someone, and we see them like, so this, this meditation that I created is like a lot about visualizing the person and seeing them in front of you, like looking into their eyes, seeing what their outfit looks like, feeling the warmth of their skin, feeling their heartbeat. It's like everything that you could possibly tune into and feeling them as if they are right in front of you. That is so healing to the mind. Because the mind thinks that this is unavailable. I will never feel this again. I will never have this again. But actually, you can, maybe not in physical form, but you can connect to that person. You can see them. You can feel them. You can hold them. You can touch them. You can smell them even in your mind. And, and a lot of the times, like, that's just enough to start the healing process. That's just enough to, to get you to get out of bed that day or to get you through this Valentine's Day without them. I think those are great tips for someone. Yeah. Yeah. And even too writing, I think you're talking about writing letters or getting a card. You could still do that for them, you know, like, and, or writing a letter to them, expressing your love. Um, because you said that's something that they don't have in the physical anymore, but you can still do it. You know, like it's, you can still act upon that love for right. them. So I think that's amazing. Um, and so, yeah, if anyone's, you know, feeling that way, you know, hopefully uh, you can do the meditation. I think that's an amazing idea uh, or any of the other tips that were given. And hopefully this Valentine's Day, um, you can know that you're loved still. Mm-hmm. And to know that, you know, as time moves forward, other people um, and yourself, hopefully yourself, you can give yourself some more love, but other people around you will support you as you move forward in, in your journey to feel loved. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. I love those tips. They're great. Okay. Yeah. So moving next to loss, have you ever experienced the death of someone? Oh my God. I have experienced so much death. It's ridiculous. Um, I am, I just turned 31 and, uh, I don't think I know anyone that I'm really close with as far as like friends or people my age who have experienced really any loss or even though like anywhere compared to the stuff that I've been through. My family all had kids when they were pretty young and they all live forever. Like my great great grandmother was still alive until I was three. So I just have so many people in my family and like we're all super super close 
because we're just this big, we were this big Italian family. We always did everything together. So, you know, all of my great grandparents on both sides didn't die until after I graduated high school. So it's just like, I, I've just experienced a lot of loss people who I loved very, very dearly. And then also had uh, quite a few deaths of friends and people that I went to high school with. And so, yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> yes. Wow. That's, that's shocking how much loss you sort of had. And how did you, cause I'm guessing some of them happened when you were a child and some of them as you increased in age, how do you see the shift and how you deal with your grief now versus when it first occurred? Hmm. You know, I didn't, I would say I never really, the first loss I ever experienced was when I was probably about 10 and my dog got hit by a car outside of our house. And that was like the first time in my life, I just, it was like an out of body experience. It was like, you just, you go your whole life and people talk about death and like things die, you know, like plants die and and animals die and stuff like that but you just like don't really get it and then when something you love so much like that dog I mean I had I think I got that dog when I was like three or four it just didn't make sense it was like incomprehensible to me and yeah I just remember like the way that we all dealt with it was like my whole family just came together and we were just like one unit holding on to each other we were just so sad and so upset, but like we had each other and it still felt like you were in this weird zombie world, like dream world, dream state. Like I can't even, I just don't even know. I'm just existing kind of a feeling. So it was like the first time I ever remember losing someone that I love, which was my dog muffin. And, and then, you know, then after that, it was like the big stuff, like my grandmother, my great grandmother and my uncle and like my both of my other great grandparents. And um, and then my friend died a couple of years ago. And I would say that, man, you know, I want to be like that person that's here's how you deal with it. Like, it's not a big deal anymore, you know. But I don't know if anything will ever take away the pain, like the initial pain of, of losing somebody that you love. I don't know if there's, there's really any tool or technique that I have found other than just convincing myself that that person is still available, that they're still there, that I can still talk to them, I can still see them in my mind, I can still feel them, I can hold their hand. That's probably the only thing that I have that has been able to help me in the beginning, you know, like in the beginning, that's beneficial when you're just feeling that unbelievable despair. And then, of course, over time, you know, it, it, it gets less and less and you can start like existing and living again. But as far as tools, I mean, yeah, it it's like the worst thing we go through i mean our our minds are just that's all our brains are trying to prevent is death all day long like everything comes back to that i don't want to die i don't want anyone i love to die um so we're kind of wired for that right yeah i think at the end it's it's you said like it's it's true everyone has a special part in your life and especially that first time you lost your your, your dog muffin died 
like especially as a child like those initial reactions of realizing death is real are you know monumental to just realizing um, who people are to you and can you tell us a little bit about muffin um, maybe some memories you had of him she was just like our little family dog she was a miniature sheltie collie and she and I just were inseparable you know I just she slept with me in my bed and I would build forts and she would be inside of it and like she was my best friend and it and eventually we had another dog who we would um Muffin and I would like pretend to hunt him and so he would like run around the backyard and I had this little pop gun and me and her would run after him and I would shoot the gun off and she'd bark at him and we'd pretend like we were getting him and it was just like this awesome little these were like my little friends, you know, like I was the weirdo kid that like wouldn't hang out with people. I would just be like, I'm good. I'm good with my dog. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, she was just, it was just me at the time and, and my parents, my brother wasn't born until I was eight years old. So it was just kind of like, that was my sibling. That was my, you know, when my parents were busy or doing their own thing, it was like, I always had muffin. Um, so it was a special connection that I, that I felt with her. And so what did you guys do when she died? Did you bury it somewhere? Did you have like a ceremony? Like what happened soon after? So I remember being in my room and I remember being in my room and I heard my mom screaming from the garage and I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I got up and I, I went in there and I just remember seeing her coming through the garage door, like it was dark in the hallway. And I couldn't tell if she was laughing or crying, but like in my family, you're normally laughing hysterically, just doing something ridiculous. So I'm kind of like, ha ha. And then like the light, she like walked forward and the light hit her and she was sobbing uncontrollably and I and so I'm like I've never seen my mom like this I had no idea what was happening and and she didn't want to tell me what was going on uh but I looked outside and then she like kind of grabbed me away and that was when like I saw Muffin laying in the street and my mom like didn't know what to do and you know she she wanted to go out there and help her but she knew that it was a hit and run you know and yeah, and, and so it was just like, it was, it just really affected everybody in my family. And I think too, it took me years. It was like this really weird thing. Like, I was already a vegetarian. I decided to become a vegetarian when I was eight years old. I just loved animals and I didn't want to eat them. And, um, and then like, there was this weird traumatic thing that after I saw that, it was like that image was burned in my mind of her. I couldn't for years see roadkill. I could not see an animal on the side of the road dead. I would start crying or like I would start praying for it or like I was just a crazy mess after I saw that. Right. Hard. My, my, um, my dog got hit by a car too outside of our house. It's kind of weird that the same mm. thing happened to us, but her name was Santa and she was just, oh God, just the way you're describing Muffin. I'm like, yeah, that's Santa. Like she was just... Mm. And she got hit by a car, and then she had a heart attack immediately. And then, um, like, my stepdad had to, like, pick her up and, like, put her in the back of his car and stuff. And I just, it was so heartbreaking. But when you have a connection with a pet like that, it's like, that just rocks your world. It's so hard to, like, come back from that. And, like, all the memories you have, it's just, 
And having a relationship with a pet to me is just, it's completely different than any other like grief I've experienced. And it's just like, it's pet loss. It's completely different. You know, and people say it's, it's not, it's not like losing I like a human I, loved one. And it's like, no, it's not. It's, it's completely different. And you have a, you have a different connection with, with a, with a pet or at least not like I did and my family did. So it's really hard. Yeah. And I think that that part of that is just like the innocence that you feel from them is like, you're their protector. Like you should never let anything happen to them because they can't protect themselves. And so, you know, part of that is like the responsibility and just like, you know, they yeah. look to you for love. Like they, they never judge you. They only love you. They, they're just unconditional. They're unconditional. So yeah, I, I get that. So have you ever had a dream of muffin? No, I haven't. Um, my dream, my dream is pretty crazy, and it's about my grandmother, actually. Can you, sh- can you share it with us? Yeah, sure. So <laughs> okay. my grandmother was the most incredible person that anyone could ever meet. Like when people met her, they would just immediately become like best friends with her. She just, she was just the kind of person that just had love pouring out of her all the time. Now she was 38 years old when I was born. Um, so she's like younger than some people's mothers. (laughs) And, um, and so she was like my everything, but not only was she my everything, but she was everyone's everything. And she was the center of our family. And she was just like the rock that held it all in place. And, um, her and my great grandmother, they, my, my great grandmother and my grandmother and my grandfather all lived together. And we always lived next door to them. We were always like either in the same house or next door to them. We were always together. And, you know, on the weekends, my parents would be like, go to your friend's house. I'm like, no, I'm sleeping at grandma's. Like I would just sleep at my grandma's house any chance during the week. I'd be like, it's grandma's. It's not even a friend's house. Why can't I sleep at grandma's? They're like, no, it's a weeknight. And, And just always together, always together. She was just the best person. She was my best friend. She was just the best. And, and I had that relationship with her where it was unconditional. Like, it didn't matter if I got bad grades in school. It didn't matter if I snapped at somebody or I acted like a jerk or, you know, like anything that most people would be like, you know, hate you for or, or judge you for. It was just like, I was always loved. It didn't matter. And when I was 13, she, my parents came home and told me that she had uh, some some stuff in her lungs, and they didn't know what was going on. Now, my grandmother was a chain smoker, and she loved to drink. And so, you know, we were pretty concerned about it. And eventually what it turned into was uh, lung cancer and a brain tumor. And she was 52 years old. And so... Over that time period, I think it was about eight months it took for her to eventually pass away. You know, she deteriorated and, you know, they were putting her through chemo and they did, you know, brain surgery. And, you know, I just watched this person who I loved so much turn into, like, lifelessness. And she was so full of life. I mean, she just lit up every room she walked into and... She was a partier. I mean, like every weekend there was a party. I mean, every cousin you didn't even know you had was there and people that she would meet on the street, come over to my house for a party. And um, 
And so it was just really intense to see this person. And, you know, it was like first the dog died and it was like, wow, I don't even know how to comprehend this. And now it's like, I didn't ever think that my grandma, I remember having conversations with her where like, I was afraid that my great grandmother was going to die because she was the oldest and there was nothing wrong with her. I mean, she was perfectly healthy and she was fairly young. I mean, she was in her eighties, but she was like very young for, for 80. And, and my grandmother would always be like, no, she has a super strong heart. She's not going anywhere anytime soon. And, you know, it was like, who knew that she would be the one to go, you know? And so, um, I remember, I remember this one night we would, God, when it got close to the end, we put this hospital bed in her room next to the sliding glass door. My dad had put this statue of the Virgin Mary in the backyard with rose bushes around it, which is my favorite, my grandmother's favorite. And so that she had something to look at out the window. And we, as a family would be, uh, my mom, my dad, me, my brother, my great grandmother, and my grandfather, we just sit around her in a circle and just pray and sob and pray and sob like anything that we could possibly do to stop this from happening. Like, just please don't take her, please don't take her away. And I remember my dad was like hysterical. He would like make these like different juices for her to drink. And like, he would try anything to just prolong her life or keep her from dying. He was an only child and he was, he just did everything with his mom, everything with his grandmother. So, you know, we were all pretty hysterical and just doing whatever we could. And we would all sleep in her living room, on the floor, on the couch, everywhere. And one night, my great-grandmother came in and was, like, yelling for all of us. And we're like, what's, what's going on? And we get up. Well, she had gone in, like, two or three o'clock in the morning just to sit with her. And, and my grandmother had been in a coma for a while and she walked in and she sat next to her and my grandmother opened her eyes and looked at her and, and said, hi mom. And my great grandmother was like, Oh my God. And like ran out and got all of us. She's like, she's awake. She's awake. So we went in there, we turned the lights on it's the middle of the night and we were like, what do you want to do? And she's like, I want to have a party. And so we're blowing up all these gloves, turning them into balloons and laughing. And, and, you know, it wasn't her normal self because she wasn't there anymore. But she finally woke up. And my mom, I remember, leaned over to me and was like, I think everybody needs to take this time to tell her what she means to you. Because this might be the last time we ever talk to her again. And so we each took our time. And it was finally my turn, and I went up there, and I said, hi, Grandma. And she didn't know who I was. And she knew who everybody else was, but she didn't know who I was. And the older I get, the more I try to justify, like, I think she couldn't leave me. I think she needed to not know who I was because she couldn't go. She couldn't go knowing that she was leaving me behind. Right. And so, so that was pretty painful. And I'm going to go kind of segue into the dream. So after she died, I would start having dreams about her, but very vague, very like those dreams where you wake up and you, you have a feeling. It's not really like a whole picture in your mind. It's just a feeling of a dream. 
And she would be there and she would just be stone-faced, like she was mad at me or something. My grandmother was never mad at me. I don't think there was a day in her life she was ever mad at me. Right. And I, I wondered, always wondered if it was just like this weird projection of that she didn't know who I was or that I did something wrong before she died. And this is where it gets really crazy. So, <laughs> so I had moved back from New York. I'd been living in New York for a little while. I was probably 22, 21, 22. And I'd moved back and into Florida from New York. And I was living with my mom. And at the time, it was my mom, my brother, and me. Because I think my parents were going through a divorce at that time. Went to bed just like any other night, no big deal. And uh, I had this dream where my mom, my dad, and I walked into this office. And it was like a therapist's office. And we sit down on this couch. And we realized that, like, the therapist is actually a medium. It's this guy. And he's like, now, don't tell me anything about who you want to connect with. But I'm just going to tell you what I see. And he starts to say, I see two houses. And his voice sort of fades away. And instead of hearing him tell us what he sees, everything that he's seeing in his mind starts to come to life around us. Now, when we lived in New York and when I was growing up, we had built two houses next to each other. And so as soon as he said two houses, these two houses were manifesting, materializing in front of us. The couch that we were sitting on became a bench, which was in the backyard of both of our houses. And I, we were actually behind my grandmother's house. And my mom and I were like, oh, my God, it's our houses. This is crazy. And then you hear, like, we're not in the office anymore. We're on this bench behind my grandmother's house. But you can hear him say, I see two women. And my mom and I look at, us, look at each other and we're like, oh, it's got to be Grandma and Grandy. And as soon as, as soon as this guy said this, I see in the, the bottom uh, glass door, my grandmother standing there. And I just bolt. I run as fast as I can. I fling that sliding glass door open. And there was like a spare bedroom in there. And I tackled her onto the bed. And I was holding her and I was sobbing and I was sobbing. And I'm like, Grandma, oh, my God. And I'm holding her. and and. I, it was insane because we weren't talking. We weren't talking to each other. Our mouths weren't moving, but information was flowing through both of us at like light speed. And the only thing I remember from that communication with her was I asked her if God was real. And she said, he is, but not in the way people think. And I got up. And I said, well, you probably need to talk to my mom now because my parents were going through a divorce and I was thinking, you know, you probably need to talk to mom now. And I got up and I walked out the next door into the kitchen. And when I walked into the kitchen, my great grandmother was sitting there. So gorgeous. Now, this was after she died. She died a couple years after my grandmother died. So she was so gorgeous, sitting in this chair, teal blouse, red lipstick, and I fell to my knees, and I wrapped my arms around her waist, and I sobbed and sobbed into her lap, 
And I just kept asking, like, what is going on with my dad? What is going on with my mom? Like, what, you know, their relationship was falling apart. And she was like, everything's going to be okay. Like, she just had this peace, calmness about her that was like, you know, I know you're freaking out about this, but I know for a fact. Like, she just knew everything was going to be okay. And it was very bizarre because I looked up. And I saw my grandfather, who was still living, he was doing the dishes, and he looked back at me and just gave me a smile. And then all of a sudden, I was overcome with this feeling of, like, negativity or, like, anxiety. And my great-grandfather, who had also passed away before this, walked into the kitchen and said something really nasty to my great-grandmother. They had a terrible relationship. They stayed married their whole lives, but they... um, they never lived together. And so he walked in and, and I had this feeling and it, that feeling like made me jump out of bed. And I woke up and I was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And my mom was actually waking my brother up for school. And I had to tell her all about this dream. Now, the one really interesting thing about this is that I never realized that my entire life I dreamt in black and white. Every single dream I have ever had was in black and white until I had that dream. I didn't even know that until I had this dream. Then there's a couple other pieces to the story and tell me if I'm, if this is getting too long. No, it's fine. Good. Okay. So that dream was really intense and amazing for me. The one thing about that dream was that my dad stayed on the bench He didn't, it was like, he wasn't there. He wasn't with us. He was still in the office with the guy. And if you ran your hand in front of him, he wouldn't even know. He wouldn't be able to see you. It was like, he just wasn't there. Now, fast forward a couple weeks and I start dating this guy. Uh, We barely know anything about each other. He's never been to my house and we go out to dinner. And for some reason, this dream pops into my mind. And I'm like, I got to tell this guy about this dream. Like, he doesn't know anything about my family or my grandmother, but this dream is so incredible. I need to tell him. So I start telling him about this dream. And at the end, this is what he, I will never forget his exact words. He says to me, that reminds me, I got something for you. Now, my grandmother was, she loved oriental stuff. And she had an entire bedroom set made in Chinatown. And as a child, I remember, like, for some reason, I would just, like, open up all her drawers. And underneath all of her drawers were these chalk numbers that whoever had built her stuff had wrote on them, like, hand wrote them on there. And for some reason, I just always remember that. And after she died, I got her, um, her jewelry box that went with her, her bedroom set. And I keep both of her and my great-grandmother's jewelry in it. And it's, like, my most prized possession. And that night, you know, he said, that reminds me, I got something for you. We went over to his friend's house and his friend had this barn and he said he saw this like piece of furniture and um, he said when he saw it, it reminded me of, uh, of him, of me. And so he's like, I want to swing by the house and pick it up. So we go over there and he goes up into this barn and he's, he's literally like on the second story and he picks up this big box and he turns around with it. And when I saw it, I fell to my knees and started sobbing. Now, he has no idea. He's like, 
what is happening? Like, he's thinking like, don't worry, I'm not going to fall. You don't have to worry about me. And I'm just like, I don't care if you fall, don't break this box. This was my grandmother's jewelry box, but it was about three times the size. And instead of white, it was red. Hmm. And when I saw this, I couldn't even believe this because this isn't something you can buy on eBay. This is like a handmade piece in Chinatown that my grandma got like, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. I, and, and so I'm just like, what the hell? So he comes down with this and I am sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And I call my mom and I'm trying to tell her and she just doesn't understand what the hell I'm saying. And I get this thing back to the house and I clean all the dirt off of it. And I said to myself, if there are chalk numbers underneath this, these drawers, I'm not even going to know what to do with myself. And I just didn't expect there to be. But I opened this thing and I took the drawers out and there were chalk numbers underneath the drawers. And I just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't, and I just couldn't make sense of it. And my mom couldn't make sense of it until she got home and walked through the front door. She didn't even have words. She was like, where did that come from? And the weirdest thing about all of this is that I don't actually like Oriental stuff. I don't own anything of like Oriental genre, I guess is what you want to call it. And that guy had never been to my house and he never saw that jewelry box. And so tell me why when he saw that, it reminded him of me. Tell me why I told him that dream. And after, at the end of the dream, he goes, that reminds me. I never said anything about furniture or jewelry box. Like it was very bizarre. And when I asked him, I said, where did this thing come from? He told me that his friend said when him and his mom moved into this house, that was the only thing in the house. It was an empty house with this handmade box in it, and they didn't know what to do with it, so they put it up into the barn, and it's been there ever since, years and years and years, like maybe 10 years, until my boyfriend at the time came along and saw it and thought that I would like it. And that was, to me, was so shocking um, it, it was just so unbelievable to me. It felt like my grandmother was like, I'm here. I'm still here. Like, this is my gift to you. And, um, the one last really interesting thing is that my mom has had much more extraordinary grief dreams about my grandmother than I have. But the really weird thing is that every dream I've ever had again, since that dream about my grandmother, it has been in color. My dad has been in it and he hasn't been able to, like there have been dreams where I stand in front of him and I scream into his face and I'm like, dad, it's grandma. She's right here. Just talk to her. She's right here. And he can't see either of us. And my mom has, has told me, like we had no idea about this, but you know, maybe, maybe three or four years ago, we were talking about our different dreams and my grandmother. And she told me, that in every dream that she has, my dad is there and he can't see her or my grandmother. He's just there. And I was like, you see, I'm like, the same exact thing happens to me. Then I had a conversation with my dad and I didn't tell him about the dreams, you know, nothing, nothing about it. My dad's not really like super into this kind of a, you know, thought process, I guess you'd say. But one day he told me out of the blue that after my grandmother died, he never had a dream ever again. So it's just very bizarre. It's, the whole thing is just super bizarre. 
Wow, it's so interesting. Yeah. What a what a cool series of events. <laughs> like it's the best way I can yeah. say it. And how you brought in also elements of not only your dream, but your mom's dream and also your father's. And I think that's so fascinating. Um that I think your father hasn't dreamt of him of of her because he hasn't he can't remember his dreams anymore. Um, but that it relates to your own dreams and your mom's dreams. And it's just very fascinating. And I'm it's glad. bizarre. Yeah, I'm glad you got comfort from uh, the dream of your grandma and granny. And I'm guessing, do you get comfort from all your dreams of her, like, that are in color? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's weird. Like I said, I dream in black and white. And I never knew I did that until I had this dream. And I was 22 years old, I think, when I had this dream. So my whole life, I just had these these dreams I didn't know, you know, I had no idea. And then I had this dream and now I still dream in black and white unless my grandmother is there or my, my great grandmother is there. It's in color. I think it's amazing. It's beautiful. And like the more we, we hear these stories, the more you just realize how, how mysterious the dream world is, but how beneficial it can be for people. And also horrifying as your beginning dreams were with your, your granny and her being stone faced. So if you yeah. could if if you could have one dream now, let's say going to bed tonight, what dream would it be and who would you want in it that has passed? Mm. That's a hard question. Um I think what I think the kind of dream I would like to have is one that I had a little bit more control over. So like if I'm struggling with something or I need some kind of an answer or reassurance or just something I'm able to ask for it and receive it in the dream versus just like waking up and being like, what did that mean? What did that dream mean? And trying to decipher it. It's almost more like when people talk about lucid dreaming, they're more in control of what's going on. Like I would love to like know that I'm in the dream. Like I would love to be like, okay, like I, I called this meeting with my grandmother and I want to talk to you about this, this, and this, and I want to hear your voice. And um, but yeah, I guess it would be with my grandmother or, or just honestly, like maybe with everybody I've lost, like my great grandparents and, and my friend, Sam, that died a couple years ago. And, you know, just to see them or, or have a party, like just, just be in a dream where my grandmother's throwing a party and it's all the people that I've lost. I like that. I like, cause you, you yeah. talked about her and the parties and it'd be a good event for everyone to be a part of. Oh, that's beautiful. That's that's so amazing. And would you want your dog to be there too? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. So thank you so much for sharing that. Hopefully, you know, one day you have that dream where just everyone's in there and you can ask some questions mm-hmm. to each and every one of them. <laughs> and yes. see how the responses differ from each other. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate take, you taking this time and the work that you're doing and you know the, how you're helping people really find within themselves the place they need to go to make their lives more joyous and make the, the world more loving as, as a whole. So, you know, thank you for doing that work. And also, you know, keep us updated on any more dreams that you have and keep asking the question. That, and the big thing I want to say is thank you for asking your mom and your dad about their dreams because a lot of people don't. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, Anyone who's lost anyone, if you just ask them, you'll be surprised what they actually say. But a lot of people, they need to sort of, they don't just randomly say it. You have to ask them. So I think with all the people you've lost, all those other people are out there that maybe you haven't asked, um, that maybe you could because they might have these really interesting stories too. So thank you for being a guest. 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Amazing. Yeah, thank you so much for your candid accounts and and a lot of really cool stories, mysterious stuff too, which is always welcome. I love hearing just different adventures of people's lives and how they get to where they're at and and really cool dream stuff too. So I I know that the listeners are really going to love this episode and um, all the Valentine's Day stuff we talked about is really helpful. I know that it'll um, help people navigate this holiday can you even call it a holiday? I'm not sure, but um, either <laughs> or, um, focusing on the love that they have for themselves. And um, yeah, really great. And so I wanted to just, um, if you could just tell the listeners how they could get a hold of you, uh, any social media handles and stuff, that would be great. Yeah, sure. So my website is justinajoya.com. Uh, if you don't know how to spell that, you can just go to flirtingwiththeuniverse.co. And I have a YouTube channel called Flirting with the Universe. And the meditation for loss, for grief, is on there. It's free. Um, and it's about 30-minute long meditation. And it just connects you back with the people that you really miss and that, okay. that you're grieving. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll put those links uh, on, the, on the site so people can find them a little easier. For sure. And, and Jade, uh, thank you for coming on as a co-host again. And, you are uh, most welcome. Thank you for having me. I had a, I had a, I had a great episode. It was really great. I learned a lot, and uh, I think the listeners are really going to love this one. And beautiful. So, Jade, Thank what's you your? No problem. Uh, so, Jade, what's your your Instagram and stuff? Oh, my Instagram um, at Jade Carlin Coaching, um, and then my uh, Jade Carlin Coaching on on Facebook as well. And I don't do Twitter. And my website is jadecarlincoaching.com. That's also. Um, available on the griefdreams.ca website under team beautiful so thank you everyone for taking a listen uh, to this episode and even sharing it to friends who may find this episode valuable um, with valentine's day coming up so yeah our our platform is the griefdreams.ca if you haven't checked it out go check it out there's lots of information on there about this topic and about the research i'm doing at brock uh, brock university and if you want to join the Facebook group, uh, it's called the Grief Dreams Facebook group. And a lot of people just share their dreams. And it's an amazing community. So go to that if you are interested in sharing a dream or even just listening to others' dreams that are on there. And you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Grief Dreams. And as always, with love and gratitude from us to you. Introduce myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.